We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning, and we're going to be continuing a message that was started last week. We will pick up in verse 36, but before we get there, I just want to give you some background. For those of you who weren't here, today's sermon will, will stand for itself, but for those of you who were here, you'll be able to make some connections between the two also. Last week, we looked at several different things starting in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7. We, we looked at the fact that Jesus was doing these great things. He was healing people. The poor were not being neglected. He was there for people. And it was something impressive for everybody in the, in the area to see. And during this time, John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to make sure that Jesus really was the Messiah. And even though John and Jesus were cousins, and even though John leapt in his womb when... Jesus' mom was in the presence of his mom, even though there was these incredible things, and, and John came to prepare the way for Jesus. We saw that even with that intimacy, John was still not 100% sure that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, it, it, Jesus, we, we also looked at how that wasn't the only person in Jesus' life that did that. Um, when Jesus was even, when he was 12 years old and he was at the temple, and his mom and dad were looking for him, what did he tell them? He said, didn't you know that I was going to be here in my father's house? And John's brothers, we, we, we talked about how John's brothers didn't believe, didn't know at one point in his life. We, we looked at how his own disciples weren't sure. They, they weren't exactly sure what, what Jesus was saying about himself. To the point where, you know, Peter denied him on his way to the cross. Judas betrayed him, obviously. But Peter denied him, and, and not, not many people were there when Jesus was crucified. And this, this didn't mean that these people were bad. They just weren't sure what was going on. They weren't able to interpret the reality that what was true and what Jesus came to do was to suffer and to die for us. Because they were looking for this conquering king. Not this suffering servant, but this conquering king are the terms we used last week. And we talked about how in that portion of the sermon that it's important for us to really know who Jesus is. It's important for us to study scripture. It's important for us to to dig in and to know exactly who Jesus is. And when we know that, when we know him, it's going to better equip us to, to worship him, to serve him, to fall in love with him. And, and as we're falling in love with him, we are going to be the people that we need to be in respects to just living life in general, but most importantly, in relation to who God desires for us to be. But then we saw that there were these other people who weren't just confused about who Jesus was, but they didn't love Jesus. They were antagonistic against Jesus. And these people were the Pharisees. And I know Many of you already know about the Pharisees and know who the Pharisees are. But we're going to look at together this morning the characteristics of the Pharisees that are given throughout the New Testament so that we can make sure that we don't reflect the character of the Pharisees. We want to reflect the character of Jesus. As individuals, that's who we want to be like, is Jesus. And as a church, we looked at a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 4 that when the, the leaders of the church are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that we will grow up into him who is the head, into Jesus. We will mature and look like Jesus. 
our church, any church who matures in Christ and who becomes like him will reflect his character. And it will be the best example of Jesus' body still on the earth today will be a church who is in love with him and who is serving him and being like him. And so we've been looking at different ways to be like Jesus over the last several weeks and and looking at ways to be a healthy church. And what I want us to look at this morning and and pick up where we left off last week, because we covered some of this last week, is I want to make sure that we are contrasting Jesus and the Pharisees. Because if we're not careful in the pursuit to be like Jesus, in the pursuit to be the church that we need to be and the people that we need to be, in a pursuit to be all that, it's easy to go down a path that actually makes us look like the very people who Jesus preached toward, against, about the most. The Pharisees. And so, uh, last week, we, we, we not only did we talk about the people who misunderstood Jesus, but we talked about some of the characteristics of the Pharisees in their time. And we're going to talk about several more of those this morning. We talked about who they were. They were religious leaders and lawmakers. They were kind of gatekeepers of the religious practices of the times for the Jewish people. They valued law and rules over people. We saw this many times, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, We saw this many times in the New Testament where even Jesus and his disciples, they got on to them for uh, breaking the law. But it was rules that they were misunderstanding and misinterpreting, and uh, the Pharisees, I mean. And so they care more about law than they did about people. They thought they knew better than Jesus. They were lovers of money. And again, last week I talked about how I have scripture references for all of these. Like that one is Luke 6, 4, 16, 14. And so if, if you want any of these scripture references, please let me know. They were more worried about outward appearances than the inward reality or the spiritual reality that was in them inward holiness. They were hypocrites. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. That's what we read in Luke chapter 7 verse 30, that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, by by John. They wanted power so much, they wanted to be in control so much, that they killed Jesus in order to keep what they had. Ironically, of course, they could not keep what they had, um, because killing Jesus didn't stop him. It was part of God's plan all along. And so then we started talking about, well, what does that look like in our life today? And so some of these might sound a little repetitive of what we just read, but and the I only got to one of these last week before I had to chop off that sermon, or I could hear Kenny's stomach growling from the front pew, so... I decided I I better stop. But the only one I got to last week, I'll repeat it again today, uh, when we're talking about what should we look like, what what do Pharisees look like? And if you were to put it into modern uh, circumstances, what would it look like? And remember, it's our job as Christians to read what was written to people a long time ago and written by men chosen by God, by by people chosen by God to to communicate his passion to the people in that moment And yet, it's still applicable to us today. And so it's our job to go back and to find out what it meant to those people and why it was given and how it was given and who gave it and where they gave it and to whom they gave it. 
all those things, we're, we study those things, and then we try to find the biblical truth, and we talked about this uh, back in June, we try to find the biblical truth that can still be applied today in our lives. And the truth never changes. The truth of God's Word never changes. But how we apply truth in our lives might be different for all of us. And we talked about the example of love your neighbor. Well, some of you might love your neighbor by turning down your radios at 9 p.m., even though that's not in your nature to do so, right? Others of you might love your neighbors by just being friendly and cordial every time you get to see them. Uh, others of you love your neighbors by telling them about Jesus and showing them the love of Jesus by sharing Christ with them. There's many ways to love your neighbors. And the truth is there, and it never changes, love your neighbor. But how we love our neighbor might differ, okay? For example, no one in Jesus' time needed to borrow their, their neighbor's Wi-Fi, okay, their Internet. But that would be something that we could do today, that it's just a simple, easy little thing for us to love our neighbor. And so we have to remember that application changes. So modern-day Pharisees. The first one that I got to last week is um, what, do, what did Pharisees do back then that Pharisees do today? And, of course, I'm not talking literally Pharisees. I'm talking about people who reflect the character of the Pharisees more than they even re- reflect the character of Jesus. And I will say this, that sometimes... I find that I'm reflecting the character of a Pharisee. There are many times in my life where if I'm honest with myself and I look in a spiritual mirror and allow God and ask God to search me and see if there's anything wicked in me, there are times in my life where I see that I am reflecting a character trait, a personality, whatever the case is, an action, an attitude. I'm reflecting something that the Pharisees did more than I'm reflecting who Jesus was and what he did and who he is. If you hear, hear this list and you think, man, some of these describe me and my actions and my attitude. Well, welcome to the club. You're going to be in good company because this is going to describe a lot of us. But what we have to do is we have to repent When a truth is made aware to our hearts, to our spirit, when the Holy Spirit speaks truth to us in a way that it it just cuts to our soul and we know that there is sin, then we repent. We don't make excuses. We, 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 We don't run away. We repent. And so in reading this list, if there's something here that convicts you, that's good. Repent. Don't run. Okay? And... The same goes for your pastor. So, the first one that I got to last week was uh, modern-day Pharisees. They gossip about people with problems rather than loving them. And we see this all throughout Scripture, where the Pharisees were mumbling, or they were talking amongst themselves, or they were talking to everybody. about. And oftentimes when we see this in Scripture, it's about Jesus. It's about something Jesus was doing. But there are many times in Scripture where we see people gossiping uh, about sinners. There are many times in Scripture when we see Pharisees gossiping about sinners. Oh, look at that person, or I'm glad I'm not like that person. And we'll talk more about that because that goes into some of the other characteristics. And so do we ever see this in ourselves? Do we ever gossip about people in order to make ourselves feel better or in order to pass the time or whatever reason we're gossiping? But it's unhealthy. Another one, they might say, a modern-day Pharisee might say, uh, we don't need that type of, those type of people in our church. 
that type of people in our church. Well, Pharisees did that in Jesus' time. They didn't want tax collectors and prostitutes and people like that in their church. They had very, um, they wanted good law-abiding Jewish people in their churches. And of course, when I say churches, that's a loose term for what they had. That that, that was temple and, and Jewish custom and things like that, not the New Testament church. Okay, so Pharisees, they they don't hang with the bad crowd. Now, some of you, if you had a good parent, they told you not to hang out with bad people, okay? Because you don't want your children doing bad things, right? And so we love our kids and we want to protect our kids. And kids, I love kids. Two of my favorite people in the world are kids. They're my kids. But still, they're kids. And But I do not trust my two-year-old to wake me up in an appropriate manner. Usually it's by slapping me in my face. Although I will say in the last couple of weeks that it has slowed down, and I appreciate that. But Emma thinks when she's up, everybody should be up, right? And then I, I love my six-year-old. I love him to death. Um, but I don't trust him to always know what is socially appropriate. For example, sometimes he might just walk into a sanctuary and scream, Hello, church! Even though it's not an appropriate time for that. <clears throat> for those of you who are here, you know what I'm talking about. So... We want to protect our kids. And for those of you who don't have kids yet, like Dennis and Nara up there, it won't be long, and we'll get to call them Linda Grandma. Anyway, for those of you who don't have kids yet, or those of you who are still kids, you need to know that parents, we love our kids and we want to protect them. And so we tell them things like, be careful who you hang around, be careful the things that they're do- that your friends are doing, and things like that. And, and, and that's good in a sense, to teach children to be careful. But there comes a time in everyone's life where it's time to be like Jesus. And it's time to go after the sinners in love. I'm not saying go after them with like pitchforks or something. But go after them in love. It's time to put yourself. There comes a time in all of our lives where if we want to be like Jesus where we have to put ourselves into the lives of people who, holy people, and I'm putting that in quotations because I don't truly believe that this is a holy attitude, but that some people might say, what are you doing hanging around those people? We're going to look at the scripture this morning and see that Jesus himself put himself time after time after time in the presence of sinners. And you might say, yes, but I'm not Jesus. Yes, but Jesus also took his disciples into the presence of sinners. And you might say, yes, but I'm not one of the twelve. Okay, well, Jesus also took people who weren't part of the twelve, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus are people who come to mind of uh, that extended discipleship crowd that Jesus had. He also took people who were not part of the twelve into the presence of sinners. And then he brought sinners into the presence of Pharisees. And so we can't escape it. If we want to be like Jesus, we cannot be people who say we don't want that type of those type of people in our church, and we cannot be people who say I'm not going to hang around them because they do this or that. Now, the only time where that I believe that that's acceptable is where if you're struggling with a certain temptation or sin, where you know that you will fall, you will stumble, or you're fairly certain of it anyway. If you put yourself in to that circumstance, into that situation. And so, if, if, for example, if you're a recovering addict, then I'm not encouraging you 
to go get someone out of a drug den. But if you're not, and drugs is not a temptation for you, the most Christ-like thing you might ever be able to do one day is to go and get someone out of that situation. Does that make sense? So we have to be like Jesus and not like the Pharisees. Um, Modern-day Pharisees think that that going to church and other religious acts uh, makes them right with God. But just going to church in and of itself does not make you right with God. You can come to church with a sinful heart every single week and leave with that same heart. And just simply walking into a church building once, two, three times a week, whatever, does not make us right with God. And yet the Pharisees thought that if they would just do the religious practices, if they would just go through these motions that they would be made right, which was not true, as we see over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, Modern-day Pharisees, like the original Pharisees, brag about accomplishments rather than confessing sin. They do, uh, they do things in order to be seen. They, they might do good works, but they, they do those good works in order to get credit from men. Hope these are making sense. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause there. I've got some more of those, but I want us to look at the scripture. We're we're picking back up in in John, uh, sorry, Luke chapter seven, and we're gonna be in verse thirty six. But I want you to remember that the last thing that the Pharisees did that we covered last week is that they accused John the Baptist of just being too too hard and too sincere and just living out in the desert and he was just this weird guy so the best prophet of their time jesus says maybe the greatest prophet of all time they accused him of being a sinner because they weren't he wasn't like them but then that wasn't enough for them they accused jesus of being a drunkard and they accused jesus of being a sinner and and again that's what pharisees do is they accuse other people of stuff all the time without whether it's true or not and um, regardless of their own actions. So, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, we see this in other Gospels. This is not just the only time that this situation is mentioned. But I will say that two other times that we see it, this is Simon, as we'll see later in this passage. Um, not, not his disciple, but a Pharisee named Simon. And in the other examples given in this, they focused, the other Gospel writers focused on the fact that this woman was anointing Jesus, that, that she was putting these, this uh, oil and, and things on his head in order to prepare him for burial. But Luke is focusing on something else. Luke is focusing on the interaction that happened between, of course, what the woman did, but between the Pharisee and Jesus. So let's look at this together. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So Jesus didn't just eat with tax collectors and sinners. He also ate with Pharisees. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, 
he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that who is touching him. For she is a sinner. All right, I'm going to pause there. So there's a lot to catch up on. This woman, so Jesus, first of all, this Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him. And obviously this Pharisee was ready to get down to business. And we'll see the proof of that in just a moment. But uh, they were reclining at the table. And the woman comes in and she begins to go through this process of uh, preparing Jesus for burial. And, of course, no one really knows what's going on at the time. And, and as she's doing this, the only thing that we see that's going through Simon's mind, now this might not be the only thing that was going through his mind, but this is all that Luke tells us, is that, he, what does he say to himself? If Jesus only knew who this was, if he only knew that this was a sinner, he wouldn't be doing these things. But did Jesus know who this was? Yes. This didn't catch Jesus by surprise. This wasn't like, oh, this is a sinner. What do I do? Do I turn her away? She was worshiping God. She might have been the only person in that room, according to the conversation that we saw earlier in the chapter, who really understood what was going on in that moment. And this woman was doing this because of the love in her. And why do I say that? We'll see as we continue to read. And so... But Simon was only concerned with who this was and that Jesus was relating to her. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, it's a parable. little, very short. And he's just saying, uh, there's two people. One owes a bunch of money, the other owes a, a, a tenth of that. And which one's going to love the debtor most for forgiving the debt? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So many of you know that the custom of that time, when you came into a house, because they their foot gear, uh, they weren't wearing Nikes that they could just take off at the door, okay? Their feet were dirty, and they needed to be washed. They needed to be cleaned. And Simon was so ready to, to get to his questions. He was so ready... Whatever reason he invited Jesus over to the house for, it was not for the regular customs of the time. He wasn't going to go through those. He was going to ignore those in order to get to what he was trying to do. And so he didn't wash Jesus' feet, or the servant didn't wash Jesus' feet. And and Jesus was reclining at the table, and this woman came in, and with her tears washed his feet. Now, this is uh, strange. I'm just going to... Go ahead and say what we all feel when we read something like this. This is, and maybe you aren't feeling it now, but maybe you felt it the first time you read this passage. This is a weird display of affection. This is a weird display. Uh, I mean, how would you feel if someone came into your house or came into someone else's house while you were over there eating and they began weeping on your feet and washing your feet with their tears, okay? So let's just make sure that we all understand that this is abnormal and yet, A lot of times, true worship is. A lot of times, true worship 
might even turn people away. It might turn people off. Because when we are totally consumed with God, we don't care what other people are thinking in that moment. Now, there uh, are plenty of uh, structural things given in Scripture for how a church should behave and what you should and should not do in a public setting and in the corporate worship that are given all throughout Scripture. Uh, it seems like some churches, Paul, that's all the letter was for, was to give them what to do or not do, and, and, or to tell them what to do or not do in, in church. But here's this woman who comes in, she's weeping, she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and cleaning his, his, his feet with her hair, drying them with her hair. And she's doing this because she's totally consumed with him. And so I'm just going to reread some of these verses. Do you see this woman? I'm in the middle of verse 44. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her, her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. It was custom to greet people with kisses back then, even though we made a joke of it this morning uh, with the Reeves during the welcome. It, it, this was customary, and yet Simon bypassed that. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. So he's bringing it back to the parable. In the parable, the one who owed the greater debt was the one who loved the debtor the most. Or the, the sorry, I'm drawing a blank. The one who, who loaned them the money. Uh, and in reality, in this situation, the woman who was a sinner, who knew she was a sinner, they were both sinners, by the way, we're all sinners. But the woman who knew her sin, her sin was ever before her, whether it was for social reasons or whatever the case is, she absolutely knew that her sins were offensive and that she was a sinner. And therefore, I tell you, because of what she did, or or her heart to do it, I should say, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So who's Jesus referring to in this situation? Well, who's the only other person that he's addressing? Who's the only other person that didn't have his feet washed? Didn't wash Jesus' feet? Who's the, per- the person who, who neglected to, to do the things that were custom, customary for the time? It was Simon. And so he's saying to Simon, you think you don't have anything to be forgiven for. That's why you don't realize who is in front of you. And so Pharisees, modern day Pharisees, do the same exact thing. They're always pointing out other people's sins. They have no problem saying, if Jesus only knew about this, they might not say Jesus, but they might say, if the preacher only knew about this, or if the Sunday school teacher only knew about this, or if this Christian only knew this about this person, then they wouldn't be hanging out with them. Well, maybe they know it, and that's the exact reason they're hanging out with them. Because as Christians, we're to love everyone we come into contact with. As Christians, we are to look for the people who are hurting for the people who are drowning. And those are the very people that we are to show love to. We're to pour out our love and affection on. And we're not to change truth or even neglect truth that Scripture gives us. We're, we, it is fine to let people know that they are sinners. We're, I mean, that's, that's just part of it. But you have to love them in a way that when you point out their sin, they still know that you love them. 
and they know that what you're saying is true, even if they, whether they change or not, you can't control that or determine that. That's between them and God. But we can love people, and we can show them Jesus, and we can be like Jesus to them. But a modern-day Pharisee, all they want, they might help people, but it's from a distance. It's not intimately. They, they might say the right things, although oftentimes they don't. But they're not going to do what Jesus did. They're not going to be like Jesus. And so we have to be careful. Because some of you might be saying in your hearts, Amen. Amen. But are we living it? Who are your friends that are sinners? When's the last time they were in your house? We have to ask ourselves these tough questions. Because we want to make sure that we are being like Jesus and not like a Pharisee. Some, some other characteristics of a Pharisee. They twist the Bible to affirm their wrong beliefs. Over and over again, the Pharisees in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament, <clears throat> would take Old Testament scripture and make it mean something that it wasn't intended to mean. And they would even call Jesus a sinner by twisting the scripture to make it look like what Jesus was doing was sin. And some people believed it because they didn't know the truth of the scripture. So Pharisees, modern day Pharisees, will take the Bible and they will, like in this example that we've been using today, they will say, um, I can't believe that he or she is hanging out with that person because that person is a sinner. Well, that's not biblical. It might be cultural for us to think that and feel that and believe that, but it's not biblical for us to think that and feel that and to do that. And so we have to make sure that we are taking all of God's word into counsel and doing as it says. A modern-day Pharisee um, might be more concerned about a church building and uh, the processes that we go through than they do about people. We see this over and over again. Uh, modern-day Pharisees, just like their, old, their New Testament counterparts, sorry, um, stir up fear and unrest among the people. Um, Modern-day Pharisees point out that they are better than so-and-so. And And it might be in a sly way in conversation. But they're going to point out how their way and their way of thinking and them and who they are is always better than the sinners around them. Modern-day Pharisees have unhealthy relationships with authority. Unless they are the authority, then they're okay with it. Uh, But modern-day Pharisees, just like the Pharisees of Jesus' time, have problems with authorities. They show no mercy or grace. They don't practice what they preach. They prevent people from getting saved. Because the very people who need Jesus are the people that they spend the most time avoiding and convincing others to avoid them also. They place their convictions and traditions on others even if it's not biblical to do so. They lack love for people in need, even though they might help them for show, as I've mentioned. They're motivated by jealousy and hatred. And again, these are coming from Scripture. That's Matthew twelve fourteen. 14. Um, so some of these might seem pretty harsh, but I'm just taking things from Scripture. And I will tell you um, that uh, last week, those are the ones that I had written down up to that point. And then this week, I had some extra time because I didn't finish my sermon last week. And I was going to be preaching a lot of the same things that I already had prepared. 
So I thought, I wonder if, if, if I like, missed some of these. Because I, I had 16 that I've read today, uh, modern-day Pharisees, characteristics of modern-day Pharisees. And I found some incredible stuff online um, and in commentaries and, and um, that I have. But those aren't free, so I'm going to tell you about some free resources. And then if you want some resources that you would have to pay to buy the commentaries, the books, then I can tell you about those also. But, uh, for example, um, there is a guy in Bangalore, okay? I don't know where Bangalore is even. I might have been there, but I can't remember where it is. Um, but there's a guy in Bangalore named Zach Pukin, and I can give you the web address for that. Um, but he had a, he wrote a book, uh, and it's it, it, a book might be a weird term because the chapters are like one or two pages, but uh, it's 50, basically 50 examples of what Pharisees are and characteristics of Pharisees. And, um, and it, he'll give one and then list an explanation of where that came from in Scripture. So there are some incredible resources out there. So if you want to study something like this, it's, it's available to study. Um, but what I want to encourage you to do is just start with the ones we've mentioned today and ask yourself, do I reflect any of these things? And if you do then repent. Ask God to forgive you. And if you've treated people in these ways, in ways that Pharisees treat people, then go and ask them for forgiveness. Go and tell them you're sorry and ask them to forgive you because that's what Jesus has told us to do. Okay, so the last few that I saw this week, um, they set impossible standards and make, and those standards make them very difficult to be around, the, the Pharisees. Um, they corrupt others. They accuse others. And you can think of several times in Scripture where the Pharisees accused Jesus, his disciples, or um, sinners. This woman here was accused, even, even, even if it's true. Uh, they believe God is their father, but John 8.42 tells us that it's Satan who is their father. They persecute people who don't do what the Pharisees want them to do, even if that person... Is Jesus. And then uh, Pharisees always justify themselves. They're always right. Their way of thinking is always right. So let's continue in our scripture. I'm going to start, I'm going to reread verse 47 and then we'll finish these last few verses. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So again, they, they just didn't know who Jesus was or what he was about and the purpose he, why he came, of why he came. <clears throat> and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So there's a few things I want to point out here as we close. What saved her? Her faith. Not her works, but her faith. But her faith and her love and her repentance led her to do what? To works. What were her works? Her tears, wiping, cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, drying his feet with her hair. She was there to show her sorrow for the things that she had done. And her faith and apparently a great love for Jesus, if she's willing to do this, for him. She, I mean, is there a more humiliating thing? I mean, think about that. What she did. This is humiliating, and yet she did it.
Because that's what her love for God drove her to do. When is the last time you did something unbecoming or undignified for the sake of God? Think about what some people in Scripture did. Think about how David danced. Think about the, the, the people in Scripture who made themselves fools for the sake of Christ. Are we doing that? Or is our life defined by pride? <clears throat> Making sure that we're all together. Like the Pharisees. Is our life defined by getting our way? Doing things our way? Or is our life defined by serving others? And doing things for others? Is our life defined by pointing out the sins of others? Or is our life defined by pointing out our own sins and asking God to forgive us and turning toward Him. So as a church, last thing I'll say, because I know I've gone late again today, how I make two sermons, both go long when it was supposed to be one sermon originally, I don't know, but I managed to do it. But <clears throat> uh, what I know is this, is that I want to be defined as someone who uh, has the qualities of Jesus, not of a Pharisee. I want to be someone who loves like Jesus loved. I want to be someone who will relate to anyone like Jesus was. I want to be someone who it, it shows mercy and love and grace like Jesus did. I want to be someone who is like Jesus, not someone who is like a Pharisee. And so in our efforts to become more like Jesus, I think it's helpful sometimes to see the contrast of that because we can see that sometimes we are living our life in a way that reflects the characteristics of someone who's not like Jesus. When we thought that we were being like Jesus because we were doing things that were culturally acceptable for people in churches in the South, in, in America, to do. And yet, in an effort to be culturally acceptable or an, an effort to gain power or whatever our reasons for doing things are, we have become more like Pharisees than Jesus in many cases. So that's what we have to ask ourselves. And then what I want us to do now and what we'll talk about next week is let's look at Jesus. Let's look at who he was and how he lived and how he loved and let's be like Jesus. Whatever the cost to us, whatever, however many people We'll, we'll gossip about it behind closed doors. That's fine. We can't control that. But let's be like Jesus. Let's love people who need to be loved. Let's, let's get into the Word. And let's learn about who He is. And maybe you already know who He is. But here's what I honestly believe. And I used to tell college students this. That if someone took your Bible today and they burned it up, and, and they stole all the Bibles away from us, okay? Now, that we're a long ways from this, I realize. Some of you might think we're closer than others. But we're a long ways from this. But you know what they can't burn up? They can't burn up what I already know, what I already have stored in my heart. They can't burn up what, what we already know about Jesus. And if we would just live out what we already know about Jesus, then the world would be a greater place. Mansfield would be a phenomenally different place because it would be Jesus transforming things. And it would be Jesus in the form of his mature church 
His body. Us. Other churches. And you know what my prayer is? If, if we're not going to be that church, I pray that some other church in town will. Well, I pray that they will anyway, whether we are or not. But I just want people who are hurting, people who need God to see Jesus. And so let's be the, a kind of church that's not offended by who Jesus is. Let's be an unoffended church. A church who loves Jesus and will be like him no matter the cost. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts right now and help us to see how we need to react and respond to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, it's, it's hard when we are confronted with such scripture, when we see what Simon was doing and how and other Pharisees are doing and how we respond in that way ourselves so often. And so, God, I pray that you would forgive us when we fail you. And, Lord, I pray that all of our hearts would long after you, would chase after you, and that we would desire to be like you above any other thing, that we would desire to glorify you and honor you with our lives and with our worship and with our obedience more than any other thing in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.